you can stand with me this morning. Colossians chapter 3, been our text for several weeks and we won't finish today. Colossians 3, verse 5. Excuse me. Colossians 3, verse 5. The Bible says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Father, we love you today, and we know you love us. And that will never change, but God, we need your help. There are things in our life we need to get rid of. We need to mortify. We need to put to death. And I pray that today, Lord, we'll allow the Word of God to have free course and allow the Spirit of God to minister to our hearts to make us more like you. And we pray it all in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. What a privilege it is to be born again. To know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the very moment we got saved, a radical change in our disposition took place. The Holy Spirit of God gives us a brand new life. And we are not the same anymore. And I want to say today I am so glad the old man is dead. I am so thankful for the new life we now have in Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is this new life we now have in Christ was the very life we were created to live before sin came in Genesis 3. Before sin and death entered into the world. Now we have that new life God wants us to have. If you're born again, we have been restored to God's original intent for us. A life that is now free from the curse. A life that has supernatural power available. And a life that is filled with blessing after blessing after blessing. And when Christ was crucified, when he died on Calvary, he took all of our sin. He paid the debt in full. He took all of our sin. He took the curse of sin upon himself and he did it in our place. He died a death we deserve to die. He paid the price we could never Pay. And now that the punishment of sin has been taken care of through the blood of Christ, we can live free from it. And the Bible declares us righteous as though we have never sinned. Glory to God. Every once in a while you hear something or some news and you'll either say it out loud or you think to yourself, that's too good to be true. I want to tell you the gospel is too good to be true. 
But it is. It is absolutely true. In fact, it's good news. But that's exactly what the word gospel means. How many are glad for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Just read a few moments ago. There's going to come a day when every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. And I couldn't help but think, as Jesse read those scriptures again today, uh, very familiar to, familiar to most of us. But I thought about when we get to heaven. And how all of us have made some kind of a statement what we're going to do. Well, it just dawned on me this morning, I don't know how many thousands of years it'll be before we get up off our faces. Because when we see Jesus, our first reaction is going to be to fall down before him. And for the first time in all of our existence, we're going to see exactly how wonderful grace is and how much we did not deserve it. So in light of that, because we have been born again, because Christ has died for our sins, our lives need to be markedly different. And so that's why we've been camping here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. And Paul reminds us, he gives us a list in this particular verse of five things that we are to get rid of. We are to mortify them. We are to put them to death. And the things that Paul is talking about are things that are part of our earthly nature. And we've all been born with that nature. And Paul says we need to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And the idea is here, don't wait till tomorrow. When do we need to do that? Right now. Do it now and do it completely. Now, please understand, when we come to Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. What he has becomes ours. So we are positionally righteous. But God expects us to live that out every day in our lives. So yes, he has declared us righteous. Yes, we are now dead to sin, and that's what Christ has done through us when he died on Calvary and when he rose again the third day. And because Christ has already done that, we're to know that. We're to know what Jesus has done for us, and we're to count it to be true in our lives, and we're to live our lives accordingly. We have been changed through the power of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says we're to put away that old life, that old life that comes from our earthly nature. And it literally means our members that are here upon the earth. We are to put it away. And I want to say today, and I don't think I'll be wrong, for most of us, that's our greatest struggle. Getting rid of all the old nature. Now I want to tell you something, folks. I used to think one way about a lot of things, but now I have to think a different way. I used to react one way, but now that I'm in Christ, I have to do it a different way. We've got to see that it's true in our lives. 
We spent a couple of weeks looking at fornication. We're not going to go into detail there, but the bottom line is because we are now members of the body of Christ, and I don't just mean the church. We are the church. But we're part of his body. We are part of Christ. Because that is true, the Bible is very clear. We are not to use our bodies for any kind of sexual immorality. And whatever it is, any any type of immoral sexual union, it violates our our mystical one union with Christ. Now, please let that sink in. I'm not going to take time to go through it today. Uh, but in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the marriage bond. And when he finishes about what husbands and wives are to do, of course, he refers back to Genesis and that union of one man, one woman. Did I say man and woman? That's what the Bible says, right? They come together, become what? One. Two plus two become one. And in Ephesians 5, when Paul finishes that, what marriage should be, he reminds us that's simply a picture of the union we have with Christ. And because we have that union with Christ, that's why fornication, sexual immorality, should not be a part of our life. In fact, it is absolutely contrary to our new nature, and it's certainly contrary to our identity of Christ. We are now identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this. We're going to move on from fornication. We must not forget. And this is such a, to me, it's such an earth-shattering truth. My body is a child of God. Your body as a child of God is the temple of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit. God now lives in us. We have been redeemed by God for our good. <laughs> now think about that. He redeemed us that so we might live righteous lives, but He did not redeem us to continue to live a life in sin. I think we may have referred to this several weeks ago. I don't have it today. As far as in our notes or anything. But you remember the time when they brought the woman caught in adultery. No one condemned her. In fact, the one who could, throw, who could have thrown her stone did not. That was Jesus. But you know what he told her? Go and sin no more. He forgave her. But don't go back to your old lifestyle. And by the way... Fornication was part of the old lifestyle. may have been. But the second one we began on last week, and that's uncleanness. We could use the word impurity as well. And by the way, all five of these things were to mortify in this list, these characteristics, um, are activities that probably were part of our lives before we came to Christ. And so the point of Colossians 5, 3, 5, is that none of these, now that you're saved, ought to be a part of your life. And so when the Bible speaks about uncleanness or impurity, 
It's a condition uh, of being defiled in some kind of way. And we went to a lot of detail uh, last week about that. We're not going to go that far today as far as that goes. But can also refer to some type of contaminant, something that contaminates our life, some kind of unwanted substance, substance in our life that makes us unclean in the sight of God. It also includes all types of sin, every type of sin, any word, any activity, any thought. How many have trouble with your thought life, son of a boy? I do, don't you? Those are all things we battle with. But all of those things, anything or action that does not conform to God's will and God's word for our life, we need to get rid of it, no matter what it is. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto wisdom and righteousness. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. Thank you, Alan, for putting it together. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Pretty clear, right? God has called us to live clean and holy lives. But we also need the touch of Jesus Christ. We need His righteousness applied to our lives. And that's where 1 Corinthians comes in, chapter 1, verse 30. Paul says, But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto wisdom, notice that, but also and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, folks, the good news is that's what the gospel, trusting in the gospel, does for us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us his righteousness. He sanctifies us and he redeems us. Praise the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. And to me, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God can take what was impure in my life. And make it pure. He can take what's unclean in my life and make it clean. And folks, make no mistake about it. God is not roaming around heaven looking for a way to find you and club you over the head. God wants to forgive us of our sins. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many are glad for that? Amen. Not just part of it, but all of our unrighteousness. You see, the good news is, when we confess it to Him, He forgives it. He forgives our sin. And the Bible says, He cleanses us from that, And he can give us victory over whatever sin it is we have confessed to him. So we're to mortify uncleanness. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with uncleanness? Number one, and this is so important, folks. We have to let the Bible define what is holy and clean, not society. Let me say this again and again and again. I won't take much today. 
It doesn't matter how much the world says something is right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It will not change. And we cannot and we must not allow the world to dictate to us what is holy. We've got to go to God's word. What does God's word say? How does God define that action? Does God say it's okay or not? Whatever God says, we stand on. We preach you why you say that. Now, first of all, Lord willing, as long as I'm pastor here, I am never going to back down from that. Ever. But look around in America today. There are a lot of churches who have compromised because you know what? They've allowed the world to define what's right or wrong. Because now so many people are doing it. I'm getting mad now, okay? I was watching TV the other day. I was talking to Brother Jerry about a surgery. And I had the TV on, but now I couldn't hear it. And I looked up and I went, ah! There were two men on TV kissing in a commercial. You can't even watch commercials anymore. How did I get there? I don't know. Don't allow the world to tell you what's holy. Let God tell you. God's word stands true. In fact, Jesus, Jesus warned us about that. The idea that man can never substitute for the commandments of God. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The scribes, they were trying to do add to God's word. They weren't trying to necessarily go against it. Look what Jesus said about that in Matthew 15, verse 9. But in vain do they worship me. Notice this. Teaching the doctrines of men. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Here's what we need to follow. The Word of God. And by the way, I heard a preacher say this this past week on a clip, just a short clip, and I agree. He said, if somebody comes to you and says they're a prophet, they've got something new, run. Right here, we got it all. All we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. So when it comes to dealing with something unclean or morally unfit, we have to prove it to ourselves. And we prove it to ourselves from the only source we have from God, and that's His Word. So if I want to know, is this right or wrong? I don't go to the society to let them decide. I've got to go to the Word of God. And I want to tell you, folks, that's never out of date. It's always contemporary. So what does the Bible say is actually holy and clean? What does the Bible say about what is filthy and what is clean? God's Word is very clear on that. So number one, let the Bible define what holy and clean is. Number two, understand that uncleanness can invade any aspect of our life. And my friend, be ready for it. Now, I don't have the verse before it's this morning. This came to my mind. The Bible says, be careful when you think you stand. Guess what? You're about ready to fall. Be careful. And it's interesting. The Bible tells us very clearly that there are some behaviors 
There are some thoughts that are impure and unholy. And when we read that in the Bible, and if the Bible says certain things are wrong, then we have to change our lives. We've got to conform to the Word of God, not how we feel, not what the world teaches. And by the way, we've got to change our lives even if those behaviors are practiced by everybody else around us. If God says it's wrong, leave it. So please understand, when it comes to being unclean or impure, it can invade any part of our lives. So be ready. The third thing is, We need to learn to despise and hate the things that are unclean as much as possible. Wow, that's a strong statement. Psalm 140. David Sort of makes a question statement together. Do not I hate them that hate you, O Lord? But why? Why should I learn to despise and hate uncleanness? Well, the reason is because God hates it. Don't miss that. God hates it. And he hates it because when our lives are impure, when our lives are unclean, it will hinder us from living the life that God wants us to live. and from, It will hinder us from fulfilling that abundant life that God wants us to have. John 10, 10, you know the verse. I am come that they might have life. And they might have life, have it more abundantly. I can't speak for everyone here, but I can speak for myself. I am glad for the abundant life. I am so thankful. There's a peace that God has given me through the abundant life. I can't explain that. And I look around at some of my unsaved family, including my dad, and I see an emptiness there, an emptiness in their lives. And my friend, that emptiness will never be filled until they let Jesus fill it. Because Jesus died that we can have not just life, but abundant life. And he wants us to have that. And God knows that being morally unclean, impure, it hinders us from having that abundant life. So that says to me that because God hates it, we ought to hate any idea, we ought to hate any behavior that holds any human being captive to filthy and an unclean way of life. Uh, wow, Pam was just telling me this past week uh, where she works. It used to be a decent, halfway decent place, but now it's just not uncommon to hear words you shouldn't hear in a workplace. Uh, and folks, we ought to hate things like that, uh, you know, that because they're, they're they're really captive to that, to filthy things, to unclean way of life. And as Christians, 
God expects us to share His character to the world. Not the character of the world, but to share what God has done through us, for us, and through us to a lost and dying world. We're to share a character that is pure and holy, not filthy, and not unclean. And my friend, that includes the things we do and the things we say. Amen. I want to say some of the things you folks say you shouldn't be saying. Come on, preacher, you meddle. I don't care. God's word says it's wrong, it's wrong. Don't do it. <laughs> and because we are children of God, our desire ought to be to ha- that all people on earth would have a deep and meaningful relationship with God who created them. That ought to be the heartbeat of our lives, that they would come to know Jesus Christ like we know him in the free pardon of sin. And uncleanness blocks that at every turn. Uncleanness has deluded too many people into thinking they are really pleasing God when they are not. My friend, if we allow any type of uncleanness in our life, we cannot please God. We simply can't do it. And let me say today, There are too many Christians, way too many Christians, who have become lax in the area of purity. Folks, that needs to be our goal. Pure, holy lives before God. And please don't ever forget, God is always watching our lives. He knows and sees what we do when no one else knows or sees. And God demands purity. And I want to say today, and by the way, a lot of the churches of the day have dumbed down the Word of God. We're not going to do that here if you don't mind. But it's time we begin taking God's Word seriously. Taking the Word of God seriously. Do you remember uh, Aaron's first two sons, oldest two sons? They didn't take God's word seriously. And they offered a strange incense on the altar. And guess what happened to them? They never did it again. You know why? God took their life. In the book of Acts, Barnabas had taken what he had, sold everything, give it to the church. and A lot of people began to follow that pattern. And there was a husband and wife thought, wow, man, if we, if we do that, we'll, we're going to get some attaboys. And look who we are. And they sold their possessions. And they kept back part of it for themselves. And there was really nothing wrong with that. But they told everyone they had given it all to God. The man goes to church at night and guess what happens? They carry him out and bury him. The wife showed up a little later guess what happened to her? They carry her out and bury her. You know why? They lied to God. 
They didn't take his word seriously. Vance Habner said this about that. He said, if God was as extreme today as he was in Acts 5, every church would have to have a morgue in the basement. Because we don't take God's word seriously. My friend, it is time. It's time to take God's word seriously and obey the commands. Today we're going to focus on James chapter 4. Look at verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. But notice the last part. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Some years ago now, quite a few now, I took a class from Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. James never took that class. He's writing to the church. And he calls them sinners. He calls them double-minded. And it's interesting. In verse 7, we're not going to read it today, but let me tell you what it says. So if we'll draw near to God, submit ourselves to him, and resist the devil, he'll flee from us. So in verse 8, James expands that thought, and he applies these commandments to resisting the devil and submitting to God. And the whole idea, the whole point of this, it emphasizes action. There has to be an action in our lives. Our part in responding to what God has done. Interesting in the book of Hebrews, the author expresses sort of the same idea, the same imagery. Look what it says. Let us draw near, same thing James said, with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. We spent a week or so in Hebrews in Sunday school some time ago. And the Hebrew... The book, the letter to the Hebrews, describes the old system where God was separated from the people. He was separated in the holy of holies. And there was a curtain in the temple that provided a wall of separation. But I want you to know this morning, folks. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, had provided a way. A way through the curtain. 
And the Bible says in Hebrews, by his own body. So that now you and I, we, thank God, can approach God without fear. But you cannot approach him without holiness. We don't have to come very far when we come near. But my friend, we have to come. We have to come. And drawing near to God, coming, implies submission. We're coming to Him. And the idea of submission also includes Don't miss this. And an immediate response to God from God. Because James says, draw near to God, and guess what? Immediately he will draw near to you. What a promise. He will draw near to you. I'm preparing this message. A thought came to my mind just then. I'm just as close to God as I want to be. Isn't it true? And so are you. I got to tell you, it broke my heart when I thought about that. Because to to the degree we are willing to draw near to Him, He is willing to draw near to us. And when the Bible speaks of drawing near to God, it means to experience His presence in our lives in a wonderful way. But if we're going to do that, we have to have a sincere desire to draw near to Him. We have to have it. And it begins... With a deliberate decision. That we are going to prioritize. Our connection with him. And make him. The center. Of our lives. And as we mortify uncleanness, as we are cultivating a pure heart, as we are seeking His forgiveness, that allows us to approach God with humility and genuineness. Thank you, Lord. You see, drawing near to God requires a submitting of our wills, requires a submitting of our desires to Him. That's what it means to draw near to God. And I will guarantee you, 
as we submit our wills and desire to God, we are going to discover a care and a closeness in ways that we could never, ever have when we do not draw near to Him. Folks, can I remind you, when you draw near to God, He will never say, back up. You ever had somebody get in your face? What do you tell them? Now, if you're big enough, you tell them to back up. If you're not, you back up, right? But folks, there's never a time when God says, you're in my face. We can draw near to him. But drawing near to God always requires action. It always requires action on our part. And for some to act out that decision, to come near to God, it would be helpful to participate in some type of physical movement. For some, it may, and I've seen it happen through the years, it's time to get back to church. A physical movement. Maybe it involves continuing to attend church, but with a desire to encounter God in a fresh new way in worship. Some may need a public declaration within the church that I've decided to draw near to God. But please understand, while I don't, I don't want to negate those physical things, they can never be a substitute for what God has done on the inside. They can never be a substitute for the inward action of seeking God, but they can help confirm our intention. God has spoken to my heart. I made a decision on the inside. I'm going to do better. I'm going to draw nearer and closer to God. That is an action that begins in the heart. I still got 20 minutes yet. That woke you up, didn't it? You see, drawing drawing near to God is simply a way of leading our hearts into God's presence. And folks, you know what well as I do, there's nothing, nothing compares to being in His presence in a special, intimate way. But I understand this. As we draw near to God, As our hearts are led into His presence, the heavenly holy of holies, which is infinitely far away, now becomes incredibly accessible through the threshold of faith. I've been there, and so have you folks. Those special times in our lives. <laughs> Draw near to God. That's a command. So what's God? And this is God's word. And I know James was writing it, but he's pinning God's word. You know what God's saying? God is ordering us to show up. 
He wants us to show up. He wants us to talk to him and he wants us to get closer to him. And drawing near to God involves creating a space and a time for spiritual growth. It's a must in our lives. Engaging in regular prayer and meditation. It will open our hearts to receive God's guidance and God's grace. Engaging in prayer and meditation will deepen our connection with God. And my friend, there is nothing like it. Nothing like it. Actively participating in a church family and getting in a church building can provide a supportive environment for worship, for fellowship, for learning, for helping us draw near to God together. My first pastor used to tell us all the time, come early and stay late. I want to tell you something, folks. You need to be in church. It's commandment of God. And I want to tell you, not just once a week, whenever you can. Make it to the house of God. So in verse 8 of James 4, we see the commands. First, he said, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And the command there to cleanse our hands means to purify our actions. Change the way we behave externally. We see that connection at the Lord's Supper. When Peter refused to be washed by Jesus. And Jesus, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter said, not my feet only, Lord, but from my head to my toes. So they had to submit to serving him, even though Peter said, it's kind of difficult to do. And so the bottom line is, when James says, wash your hands, cleanse your hands, it's a submission of our exterior lives to God for cleansing. Lord, here I am. Cleanse me. And I want to tell you this morning, church, in God's eyes, the way we live matters. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And as we submit or draw near to God, I'll guarantee you, you're going to find things in your life that God's not pleased with. So washing my hands, cleansing my hands, is a picture of the removal of those things from the way I live. And I must distance myself from those things that God points out in my life that are not good for me. And folks, let me tell you something. As you draw near to God, He will point them out. The second command in verse 8, the last part of it, purify your hearts. He calls them double-minded. That's our thoughts and our motives. He's talking about now, 
He spoke about change on the outside. Now he says, you need to change on the inside. And by the way, what's on the inside works its way out. They both go together. Well, I see what time it is. James, I'm sorry, John, verse John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, but notice this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Did we sing about the blood this morning? Yeah. Only the blood of Christ can purify our sins. We need to pray this prayer this morning, the same prayer that David prayed. Psalm 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let's stand together. Well, my prayer is that God has spoken to our hearts. And I want to say, I pray that God has convicted our hearts where it's needed. We're to mortify uncleanness. Get rid of it. And we're to do it now. Father, right now, speak to our hearts. Help us, God, to take your word seriously you're very clear in the scriptures of types of lifestyle will never inherit the kingdom of God Lord cleanse my life from any of those things whatever they might be and Lord as we draw near to you help us to be looking for those things in our lives that you show us we need to get rid of We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As always, you can pray where you are. You're welcome to pray down here.